0: Merry Christmas. It's good to be with you. Good to see you. I'm glad you're here physically. I love that. And thank you for, for uh, doing social distancing and loving each other that way. And we want to continue to do that. So we just praise the Lord for that. Let me tell you a story about a woman named Mary. Mary hadn't seen her husband in 114 days. And her husband was in an Alzheimer's care facility. She used to go every night and come and and care for her husband and tuck him in at night, give him a kiss and say goodbye until the next day. Every night she would do that until all of a sudden COVID hit. And then she was separated out. She was shut out. She couldn't see him anymore. She became desperate. I must see my husband. I must be with him. I'll do anything that it takes to to be with him and to be in his presence so that he can know that I love him. She would do anything, and she let the people at the care facility know that. And about a week later, she got a phone call and said, listen, Mary, we have a job available here. Uh, Would you be willing to take it? She was in a high position at a workplace, and she said, I will do anything. And so she showed up, and the actual job was being a dishwasher at the care facility so that she could be with her husband. And she said this. She said, it was so worth it. It was so worth it. He now, Steve, my husband, now fills my love. Every day I get to share with him my love, and he knows it, and he responds to my love giving up my position and my job. I had to do it, and it was worth it. Sin has separated us out from holy God. And yet he would do anything to be with us. And he would do the only thing that would allow us to be in relationship with him. And that was through sending His Son, Jesus, God in the flesh, to come and be the payment for our sin, to die on the cross for us to rise again, conquering sin and death, the only thing that could be done. Because God would do anything to be with us so that we would know His love for us and that we would be reconciled unto Him, that we would have life in Him, that we would be a new creation. He would do anything for that. God came in the flesh. Jesus says, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. What a great cost. But the Scriptures remind us for the joy set before Him. For the joy set before Him that one day we would be made right before God that our sin would be washed and cleansed. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. God became one of us on that Christmas morn. What child is this? What child is this? It is Christ the King, the Savior of the world. Let's pray for this morning as we walk through the Gospel of John. Heavenly Father, you blow us away, quite honestly, we can't even grasp all that it took and and your amazing love for us that, that you would come down from your throne and you would become flesh. Help us this morning to, to know more of you, to know more of your amazing love and grace, to see you in a new way. And Father, together as saints, we just want to say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for becoming one of us so that we might be reconciled unto you. We love you, Lord Jesus, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. I love Christmas music. I love uh, playing it early. Usually I start playing Christmas music around the house upon the first snow, whenever that is. And my kids always kind of get on me. It's like, really dad, we're playing Christmas music and it's still Halloween, you know, so they razz me. But whenever the first snow, I just love it. And as I was preparing for this morning, I was reminded of the song, What Child is This? Who lay to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet, while shepherds watch are keeping. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Come, peasant king, to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. This, this is Christ the King. Amen to that? Amen. I'm sure the question for all who beheld Jesus, for all who heard about him, the question must have come up, what child is this? All searching to know. And so the story is told in the Gospels. In Luke and in Matthew, we get the wonderful Christmas story in a narrative. And then in the Gospel of John, we get the story in poetry, the Christmas story. John, the fisherman, wrote this book. Not John the Baptist. Sometimes we get confused in that. John the fisherman, John who was one of the three closest disciples with Peter, with James, and with John. John who who walked with and said this of himself, I'm the beloved one of Jesus. Don't you love that he, he felt that about himself? Jesus loves me the most. I hope you know that about yourself. He loves all of us the most. He loves you. John knew it full well, and he wanted the world to know about this God who came in the flesh because of his amazing love for us. He wanted everybody to see him and to know him. He wrote the gospel of John. Why? Listen to John 20, 31. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that you may believe that he is the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the gospel. That's the good news. You can have life. You can be saved. You can have salvation. You can become a new creation. You can become a child of God when you say, Yes, Jesus, I believe. Invade my heart with your love. I surrender my life unto you. John wrote the whole gospel so that you would know the hope that you can have and the salvation that you can have in Christ Jesus. Do you know that hope? Do you know that gift? Receive it. Ask Christ to be Lord of your life. He starts out the gospel, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I love love what we read this morning. And he took up residence. He moved into the neighborhood. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He came in the flesh so that we could see him, so that we could know him fully. Max Lucado, in his book, God Came Near, shares about God in the flesh and what that was like And how we should understand our Lord, our Savior, and what he became. Let me read a little bit for you. While the creatures of the earth walked unaware, divinity arrived. Heaven opened up herself and placed her most precious one in a human womb. The omnipotent in one instant made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. He who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. God is a fetus. Holiness sleeping in a womb. The creator of life being created. God was given eyebrows and elbows and kidneys and a spleen. God had come near. He came not as a flash of light or as an unapproachable conqueror, but as one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. The hands that first held him were unmanicured. They were calloused. They were dirty. There was no silk, no ivory, no hype, no party, no hoopla that was taking place. Were it not for the shepherds, there would have been no reception at all. Were it not for the group of stargazers, there would have been no gifts. The universe watched in wonder as the Almighty learned to walk. Children played in the street with him. They went to the synagogue together, and he listened to sermons. For 33 years, Jesus would fill everything that you and I have ever felt. He felt weak. He grew weary. He was afraid of failure. He got colds. He burped. His feelings got hurt. His feet got tired. His head ached. To think of Jesus in such a light, it almost seems irreverent, doesn't it? It's not something we like to do. It's kind of uncomfortable. It's much easier to keep humanity out of the incarnation. We want to clean the manure from the manger. We want to wipe away the sweat from his eyes. We want to pretend that he never snored or or ever hit his thumb with a hammer. He's easier to stomach that way. There's something about keeping him divine that keeps him distant, that keeps him packaged, that keeps him predictable. But for heaven's sakes, don't do that. Let him be as human as he intended to be. Let him into the muck and the mire of the world. For only if we let him in can he pull us out. God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. He dwelt with us in the flesh. I love that image that was given to us by Max Lucado. It's amazing, isn't it? It's overwhelming. We still struggle with grasping it. What does this really mean for us? Oh, God's amazing love. God's amazing love. I will do anything that it takes so that you will know me, so that you will receive me as your Lord and Savior, so that I can wash you, cleanse you, forgive your sin, and give you new life. Oh, amazing love. What child is this? This is Christ the King. Amen? Amen. What child is this? John says he is the Word. He is Logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There wasn't a thing that was made where he didn't speak it forth. That's who he was. The Word. Why did he use that word, Logos? Why did the fisherman put this out there? It would have been so much easier to understand if he said, well, Jesus was with God, or the Son was with God, or the Lamb, all these other statements that you could say that are woven throughout the Gospel of John. Why didn't he use that here in the beginning? He was Logos. Why not call him Messiah? I believe that John uses that word because he wants to reach as wide a swath of people as he can by using a word that they would actually understand, that they were familiar with, that they could grab a hold of. He wants the story of Jesus to begin on a note with a hook, that will will hook as many uh, people as possible. Daryl Johnson says this, the word Logos does this, it it hooks many. Logos rings chords deep within every culture that John knows. They were familiar. It enables him to enter in with the gospel message, with the story of Jesus on common ground. John was surrounded in his day by Greeks and by Jews and by the Romans. And this word Logos was known by all of them. So to bring forth that the Logos was with God and was God was powerful. For the Greeks of the day, they thought Logos was the rational principle behind the universe. It was the source of life that gives life. For the Stoic philosophers of the day, Logos was the integrating principle behind the universe. It was that which maintains order, brings order out of the chaos. That's how they understood it. For Jewish philosophers, Logos was the agent of creation. It was the way that divine activity was to take place. It was a language they knew. It was a language they could grasp. How are we sharing the gospel message of Jesus? God in the flesh, in words that people can understand. What does that look like for us? Bono, who is the lead singer for U2, the world's greatest band, I know you guys are aware of that, But Bono, as he was trying to understand the Lord and and the incarnation, he came to a place where, he came to this place where it was like, it all makes sense. He had to come in the flesh. Listen to what he says. I love it. The idea that God, if there is a force of love and logic in the universe, that that it would seek to explain itself is amazing enough but that it would seek to explain itself by becoming a child born in poverty and straw. This little babe, Bono says, I thought just wow, wow. Why would he do that? He goes on. Love. Love needs to find a form. Intimacy needs to be whispered. Love has to become an action or something concrete. It would have to happen, he came to the conclusion. The incarnation has to happen. There must be God in the flesh because love must be made flesh. And it impacted Bono as he drew closer to God. What language do you use to describe this amazing love of God that he had to come in the flesh so that you could know him. How do you do that? Every Christmas time, as we prepare to set up the Christmas tree and get ready for all of that, we'll have a, we'll have a feast of crab. And it kind of goes back to, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. Every year, we would go down to the wharf and we'd get crab and sourdough bread and we'd celebrate the Christmas season in San Francisco. It was a tradition for the Ritchie family. And so I brought it into our home. Right now in our home, we have three international students living with us from China and also from South Korea. And so we had our crab feast and and we invited all all the kids and and so our children were there and our international students and a girlfriend of one of the boys, uh, our international students came over And we all celebrated uh, dinner together and getting ready to decorate the tree and do all of that. But here's what the Lord spoke to me as I was getting prepared for that evening. He said, Rod, I want you to tell the Christmas story tonight at the table. I hadn't done this before. I want you to tell the Christmas story. And as I was literally putting up the manger that I got in Jerusalem, the nativity set, He's saying, I want you to take the nativity set, put it right in the middle of the table, dinner table. And so I did. And then he put on my heart, as you're having dinner, hand a piece of each character of the nativity set to each individual. And so I did that. And so for the next 45 minutes, we went through the Christmas story. And and I had Mary with a young woman. I said, can you imagine being a young teenage girl and all of a sudden God sends his angel Gabriel and he says to you, you are going to be the mother of the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. You are going to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and you will bear the child and you will call him Jesus. Can you imagine? And I asked them, how would you feel? They're teenagers, and they're experiencing a Christmas scene with teenagers. How would you feel? And so they talked about that, being scared and not knowing what to do, and and how is this all going to work out? And wait a second, God's going to make me pregnant, huh? And so we walked through the whole Christmas story, and why a manger? Why was he born in this place instead of a palace? And we just talked about all these things in a language they could understand. And they asked all kinds of questions about that. And you know what I learned later? Is that two of the international students that were with us, they literally had never, had never heard the Christmas story, ever. Not even a little bit. And you go, what? No, not even a little bit. And we've got to share the Christmas story with them that evening. I just want to encourage you, dear saints, we live in a post-Christian period. There are thousands upon thousands upon thousands who've never heard at all the Christmas story and of God's amazing love for them and how he came to die for them and their sin and how he rose again and offers life to anyone who would believe upon him. Thousands are walking in darkness. The light has come, but they don't know it yet. So be ones who are telling the Christmas story. Ask your family, ask yourself, what would it look like for me to share a story in a way that people could understand, in a language that they would grasp? What child is this? He is Christ the King. And John goes on in this first chapter, and he says, "He is light of the world. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness will not, has not overcome it. His light's going to keep shining. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. I'm sure you, like me, have been seeing on the news a lot lately, all the commentary as the vaccine is coming into play. What are the words? There's light at the end of the tunnel. Have you heard this over and over and over again? There's light at the end of the tunnel. And I saw a cartoon in the Statesman the other day, and it had the three kings on their camels following the light, the star that was taking them to Bethlehem to the Christ child. But then in the middle of the star, there was an image of a vaccine shot right in the middle of the star. The three kings were following the star that was going to take them to the Savior, the vaccine. The vaccine is not the Savior. The light at the end of the tunnel is Jesus. He is Christ, the King. He's the only Savior of the world. There is no other name by which man shall be saved. Period. The light is Jesus. God had come in the flesh. Jesus had to be the perfect and final sacrifice for our sin. He is the light. He wants you to know that. Light exposes the darkness of sin. Light shines upon the path that leads to true salvation right into his arms. Light brings life like the sun pouring out upon a planted flower and all of a sudden there's a blossom. Light is beautiful. Look at these Christmas lights. They're beautiful. God is beautiful. And beautiful God wants relationship with you. Loving God wants relationship with you. That's the gift. He had to send His Son in the flesh to be the payment in the flesh on the cross for us. What child is this? He's God with skin on. John wants us to realize Mary's child, the one from Galilee, the one who eats and laughs and plays, that one is the maker of the universe. Amazing. Do you realize by conservative estimates, as John is making this connection between this Christ child and in the beginning, the creator, do you realize there are again, estimates that are really actually probably low, 10 billion trillion stars in the known universe. That's 10 followed by, do you know how many zeros follow that? That's 10 billion stars, 15 zeros follow that. By him, the Logos, all things were made. The creator of the world came down in humility and in human flesh so that we could have relationship with him, so that we could know who God is and receive his love and know his love and forgiveness for us. He came. C.S. Lewis said in the Chronicles of Narnia, as he speaks of a character speaking about their world, In our world, a stable once had something in it that was bigger than the whole world. Isn't that true? Augustine said this, He, it is by whom all things were made, was made one of all things. The maker of the Son was made under the Son. Author of the heavens and the earth, sprung under the heavens and out of the earth. Utterly wise in his wisdom, a babe without utterance. This is God in the flesh. Why in the world would he come? If I was God and I was enjoying the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in heaven, on my throne, why would I bother to come down to earth, helpless child, in the brokenness, in this flesh? Why would he do it? I believe part of the reason he did it was so that he would be known. Verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. He was glorified. The light shone upon him so that people could see, not only see Jesus, but see the Father and his amazing love. Jesus says this, remember? If you have seen me, what? You've seen the Father. Because I'm here in the flesh and I'm living amongst you, all that I'm living out, you have seen the Father. When you've seen me and you know me, when the light shines upon me and glorifies me, you have seen the Father. I think that's why he came. So that we could fully know him. I love Rebecca Pippert. She's an author and teacher, Bible teacher. And she, she, for many years, for many years was agnostic. And she really wrestled with how can, a, how can finite human beings ever understand God and know him? How can we do it? And so for years and years, she wrestled with this. And then one time she was out having a picnic and she's on her blanket And to her right, she sees a bunch of ants and they're working on a mound. And so she takes some leaves and a straw and a fork and she kind of creates a path uh, for the ants. And all of a sudden, they're working on this one mound and she starts to direct them and they start to go work on another place. They follow the path that she had set. And she goes, "What? not this interesting? I actually feel like God here. I'm, I'm moving people's direction. I have authority over this. I can move them wherever I want them to go. And again, she's wrestling in her own mind. How can finite people understand God? And she said, two ants crawled up onto her hand, and she was just looking at them. And she kind of chuckled to herself. She chuckled, I wonder if these ants had a conversation. And they were like, hey, do you believe in Becky? Becky. And the other ant going, No, I don't believe in Becky. Becky's just a myth. Becky's just a, a higher power. I don't really believe in Becky. And Becky says, How dare that aunt say that about me? I could just blow him off my hand. I could crush him. He should know I'm a higher power. I have authority over him. And so she has these ants, and then the other ant, she says, the other ant says, Well, I believe in Becky. How do, you, how do you come to an answer? How will they ever arrive at a place where they know Becky? And so at that moment, on her picnic blanket, as an agnostic, God spoke to her. The only way they could know me is if I became an aunt. It's the only way. They will never know me if I just stay as Becky. Becky. And so that moment on her picnic blanket, God got a hold of her heart and she went from agnostic to following in love with Jesus Christ and couldn't shut up about Him from there on out. God came so that we would know Him. He came because of His radical love for us. Once we know Him, once the light is shined upon Him, once we see who He is, we fall in love with Him. And God says of you and me, What can separate you from the love of God, Romans 8? What can separate you from the love of God? And the answer to that is nothing. Why did he come in the flesh? He did whatever it took so that you can know his love for you. And that you would come into relationship with him and be reconciled unto him and have life He came into relationship. He came to this earth. Verse 12 says, I love this. There was many who didn't hear the message, didn't receive the life, but to those who believed, listen to this, those who believed in his name, oh, here's what he gives us. He gave them the right to become children of God. Not born of natural descent, but born of God amen. He came so that you and I could be welcomed and invited into the family. And when you said, yes, I want to be part of this family. I want you to be Lord of my life. You become a child of God forever. And you have life now. And then you have life for eternity in heaven with our Savior, our beautiful Savior, who is light of the world. Will you receive the gift? Will you receive God's amazing love for you and say, yes, I receive you. I love you. Be Lord of my life and become now a child of God. Loved, washed, forgiven for your sin, cleansed, whole, new, Given hope and joy and life. Will you receive the gift? And so we simply say, Lord, invade my heart with your love. I invite you to be my Lord and Savior.